Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. And this is the third time I'm trying to do the intro here. My voice keeps cracking for some reason. And usually it's a little funny, but I want to start strong and not have my voice crack like I'm going through puberty again. This episode is going to be a bit of a a variety show. All right. So we're going to talk to Ron Stefanski, who's lost $34,000 in 2020 from AdSense. We hear about the whole, whole sort of ordeal, what he's been going through, some of the ideas that he thought about like working on to replace the revenue that he was losing and what he ended up doing. This is pretty fresh. I mean, this is I recorded this yesterday. So this is coming out, you know, pretty quick and well, it's dramatic. So we'll we'll do that, of course. I also had some notes in the original episode was going to be me talking a little bit about the FIRE movement, the financial independence retire early movement. And my friend over at Niche Pursuits, Spencer Hawes, wrote an article uh, sort of criticizing the FIRE movement and how it sounds like uh, there's a lot of people who are maybe not truthful about being retired and the definition of retired and just how other people view the FIRE community. So I have a little bit of a rant there and Q&A. So I've been getting more and more emails, which I appreciate very much. It gives me uh, great joy to get the emails. And then it also helps me fill content for the podcast. And it's actually content that people want to hear because it's literally like the questions and and the correspondence that we have going back and forth. So if you have emailed me, thanks a lot. You know that I usually will reply back and send a few emails, ask follow-up questions to understand like your specific situation. And if you haven't emailed me yet, feedback at Doug.show. I mean, you can email back and forth with me. Like I said, I try to try to learn, try to learn what you want to hear about and, you know, build the relationship. So let's uh, send it over to the interview with Ron and hear his uh, just crazy story about losing all this money from AdSense. Ron, what's going on, man? I know you've had sort of a hectic couple months here with AdSense. So what the hell happened? Basically, I uh, for those that know me, I have always been a big proponent of display ads and Google AdSense and those sort of things. Uh, how I've made the bulk of my money on online business. So my websites, they, they've always had the same ad layouts and everything. And then what I started to notice uh, was that in January of 2020, Google started to do this thing that they were calling invalid clicks, uh, which is hard to define because the way Google is. But basically, they were defining a lot of the clicks that were coming to my websites uh, as, quote unquote, invalid click traffic. Um, So it's been really weird. It started in January. It was at like 1.3% of of the total clicks were invalid clicks. And then in July, it was, I believe, at about 63%. Uh, which is downright frightening. And uh, the thing that's really crazy about it is that I haven't been changing my ad layouts. My websites are all the same. It's just like what I've been doing for years, literally four or five years, all of a sudden certain things aren't okay anymore. So, And you would imagine the 1% or even a 5% to me, and I don't do much with AdSense, seems like reasonable, but this obviously 60% is crazy. And did you get any kind of like, alert or notification? Did a account manager reach out to you and say, hey, man, there's like some weird stuff going on? 
That would have been nice, but no. Uh, absolutely nothing happened at all. Uh, so, and just to give you an idea, historically, every year, because I checked in these numbers after I figured this out, uh, I had never gone over 1% in inbound clicks ever since I've been on AdSense. And all of a sudden, last, like I said last month, it was at 63%. Uh, so no one reached out to me. No one told me. The only way that I found out is, and your followers may know this, people have heard of me, I do income reports every month and I did one and I thought I was supposed to make X amount of dollars. And I remember I looked the day that I got paid from Google, I was looking for a $16,500 check and it was an $8,000 check. And I was like, hold on a second, because that's obviously a lot of money. Uh, so that's when I really realized it. And then I looked at all the different data going back the whole year and I was like, holy cow, this is a really big problem. It's been going up every month. But no, no one told me anything. Um, I, and the, the, the weird thing is in the Google AdSense uh, dashboard, I couldn't even... Like it would say one thing and then they'd adjust it after the fact. So even on the dashboard, it looked one way, but then in the payment area, it looked a different way, which was like even more crazy. So, And do you have any, uh, like an account manager, do you even have one or is there any recourse? Like, can you just call up Google, um, the support desk and say, hi, I'm, I'm Ron and I need some help? You'd think that, but no, um, there's absolutely no one. Uh, that was the scariest thing about this was the recourse was very little. Uh, I reached out to an email address. I don't even remember who it was. It was like AdSense support or something like that. Um, and I reached out and honestly, the people who responded were mostly third world country people. Uh, not that that's anything wrong, but English is even their first language. And they basically told me like, Hey, you know, this, these are some helpful articles, extremely vague, uh, responses to everything, unfortunately. So, they really weren't all that much help. And uh, yeah, it's it's been pretty brutal. I called a lawyer thinking about that route because I did the math. This whole year, uh, they've taken about $34,000 at this point. Um, and we're you know in August right now. Well, we just got to September. So You mentioned that you lost roughly 34000 this year so far. What's sort of the top line average revenue for AdSense across your portfolio of sites, just to give people a sense of how much we're talking about here? Um, the revenue usually across all sites would fall right around like 12 to 15,000 most months. Um, that's top line revenue, how much it was. Uh, but like I said, now it's been, it, well, it, it was it was like that. And it was like, oh great, this is gonna be an amazing month. And then it would get like cut in half or even more, you know, 63% it get cut, cut from. So it was, you know, it obviously ended up being a lot less after they t made their adjustments. Have you heard of this from any other source? So that's the interesting thing. Um, I don't think many people know of this. So if anybody's watching this and you have Google AdSense, check your invalid clicks on AdSense right now. Uh, I don't think a lot of people know of it. Uh, I reached out my own Facebook group, told people, and I had like three or four people like, holy cow, they are, they're taking... I feel like a lot of people don't know because what's happening is you see one number and then they actually pay you a different number. And if you're not making a ton of that since you're not making, not paying that much attention, all of a sudden you're down two, three hundred dollars. Don't even know it. Um, but yeah, I, I started after, after I figured it out, I started research online to see, Hey, is this like a widespread problem? Um, and there are actually quite a few people talking about this in different Google forums and things like that. I feel like it's not like super mainstream yet because I feel like most people that are on AdSense get off of AdSense and go to an ad network. But the people that are on AdSense that have stayed on AdSense, they're going to be impacted. And I feel like a lot of them are kind of siloed and not, you know, not necessarily in the mainstream, if you will. So what options did you brainstorm to, to do when this happened? Uh, 
<laughs> well, first I just laid there in depression for a day. Uh, and then after that, I was like, okay, well, this isn't going to work. So um, I basically started to think about, you know, uh, what, what can we possibly do? We can monetize other ways for my particular set of websites. Some of them that made sense, but others it didn't. Uh, so I was kind of looking at it and I thought, okay, well, I got to figure out a way to get display ads back. So obviously I reached out to Google AdSense as much as I could, uh, probably about five, six days. I kind of exhausted that route because I realized that they're just not going to, it's, it, that wasn't going to be that helpful for me. And it really wasn't. Uh, so then I thought, okay, well, we can switch to a different network, which would be media.net was like the other biggest one that I knew of. Um, and I knew that probably wasn't going to pay much. So then I had reached out to different contacts I had at different um, actual, you know, total like ad networks like uh, Ezoic and Mediavine and um, well, I looked at Monumetric and then uh, what's the other one? AdThrive. So I reached out Mediavine and AdThrive. I had uh, applied to become part of them. Um, and then I had a contact at Ezoic that I worked with previously. So I reached out to them. Uh, that's basically how I started it was just going out and, and trying to figure it out because my thinking was, Right now, it's Ron versus Google, and Ron's going to lose that battle, obviously, because of just one guy. So I thought, okay, well, if we get into, um, you know, with with some type of network out there, then it's going to be that network versus Google. Uh, and that's really kind of the route that I went. But yeah, in the beginning, I was just kind of reaching out, seeing if more people have heard of this. And it seems to be kind of an issue that I don't think is impacting a ton of people, because not a ton of people make a, you know, make a lot from ad, ad dis- or display ads. Uh, but those that do, it's definitely uh, impacting them. So I reached out to all them and questions and kicked around as much as I could. Um, and I ended up landing on Ezoic as the partner that I chose for it uh, just because they were the most responsive and most helpful. So, And we could disclose, like both of us have relationships with Ezoic. So we we know people there who could help us out in situations yeah. like this. So it's it's nice. And not that that had anything to do with the decision to work with Ezoic. I'm obviously you have to look at the bottom line um, at the same time. So, okay. Yeah, so you, I was more worried with the top line revenue uh, to be clear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they, they presented the best, what I, what I thought as the best option to fix that. Cause they have some click fraud built into the program and explained it very in depth with me. And then I said, okay, I'm going to go with you guys. And I've been happy that I did. So mentally, what, what did this do to you? you? I mean, you jokingly said, Hey, I sat there in depression for a day, but I, that may not be that far off. Right. I mean, can no, you that just wasn't tell even us a joke? Uh, yeah. That was like, you know, I'm being lighthearted about it. Uh, it was, uh, it was really tough. Like this is probably the hardest time I've had my online business, uh, because it's been, uh, if you look at my reports, it's been up, 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 like slowly, right. I was never like a hockey stick growth, but it's been up, up, up. And then, um, to have this happen, it's not that because people are sitting there thinking, Oh God, you're making, you know, 20,000 down to 15. Oh, poor you. It's not that what what impacted me more than anything, I think, is the fact that, um, you know, when you're making a certain amount of money, you have people that you're responsible for, your, your employees, and you're paying them to do certain things. And when you expect this is what was messed up about is I would expect a certain amount from Google and then it would be significantly less. And then it's like, oh, crap, how am I going to pay this? How am I going to pay these people? So then you got to reduce their work hours. And it just it makes me feel bad as a person to have to take, you know, take money out of their pocket and out of their family. So that actually really bothered me a lot. Um, but yeah, it was like a really tough, like I'd say like a day or two, I had a really tough time because I always told my wife, like, well, one, one algorithm change away from being homeless, you know, like jokingly, but like, really, that's like a risk that you take with Google. Um, so it wasn't an algorithm change. <laughs> it was like a AdSense change, you know, but um, it was tough. But uh, just like anything else in entrepreneurship, you know, I look at this and it's like, well, it's part of the game. It's part of what happens. You, 
can, you know, my wife and I always have this thing. If you have a really tough day, you can take a day off or relax or be sad or whatever, but you got to kind of bounce out of it. Um, and I did, I bounced out of it. And luckily I was able to find something that seems to be good enough to where we're going to be just fine. So can you give us an idea, the amount that you've recovered from say a percentage level? I know it's kind of a moving target, but just curious how much you've been able to reclaim here. Yeah. So the thing that the thing that makes that tough and why that's hard for me to answer is only because I thought in AdSense I was making X, X amount per day, but then I was actually making a lot less than that, right? Because they would make their adjustments. So um, I mean, as as of this point, I think I'll probably be uh, going with Ezoic, assuming that they were going to continually reduce it, you know, sixty three percent. Assuming I was making around eight thousand dollars a month with AdSense. I should be somewhere around like nine to ten thousand a month with Ezoic, um, and I. The nice thing is, is, I know you know that money's actually coming in. That was like the, the certainty was the biggest thing for me. So there was a uh, yeah a little bit of a gain there for sure. Um, it used to be in its heyday where I was able to make like fifteen thousand with Google AdSense, but nowadays I don't even know what I would really make, you know, because it would show me fifteen thousand. So I don't really know. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, definitely definitely a gain. I don't know. What is that? Like, t- like 15, 20% over AdSense, I guess, is where I'm going to end up being. So, All right. Well, and it, we'll take a little bit of a detour here. So number one, um, Ron, you're going to have a video where you're going to show people how to check this and maybe some recourse they have, right? Yes. Yes. See, if you have that issue, that's really the biggest thing. Because I think a lot of people, if you have AdSense, you might have this issue and you may not even know it, which is a scary thing. So we'll link up to that. There will be uh, an easy way to get to it. So check that out for sure. Check out Ron's channel overall. And even more of a detour, can you just talk a little bit about like the importance of having a personal brand and a more diverse business? Because, you know, like you said, an algorithm update could impact things. I spend a lot of time in uh, Amazon affiliates. So a commission rate change could change things. And I mean, every business has its flaws and its areas where it's a, a much bigger risk. But I know me personally, it's been important to, you know, have a, the YouTube channel, have a podcast, do other things that are completely outside of, of Google and outside of Amazon. Can you talk about it personally as well? All I have to say is thank God that I took that approach um, because, you know, if I was just, and some people are like, oh, why don't you just take it easy and like collect the checks? And I, I've never thought that way because number one, I think always someone's trying to race to catch up to me. But number two is that you need diversification in order to survive. Uh, and because I did that in this particular case, we were absolutely fine. Um, and I'm pretty much right now, anyway, the breadwinner in our, in our family, um, and if I hadn't have done that, we would have been in a really bad situation if I just said, oh, this because like most of my income, I don't know exactly what the number is, maybe 70, 75 percent of my income comes from one website. And this was the website that was really hit by the display ad problem. Uh, but there was another one, too. But this was the main one. And uh, if I hadn't diversified into other websites and diversified into my YouTube channel and diversified into courses and all this other stuff. Uh, it would have been a really bad situation. We wouldn't have been able to pay our bills. Um, so for me, you know, I, I think the biggest thing with it, because people always hear like diversification, it's like you have to get the first one right. You have to get your first website, blog, whatever it is. You have to get it right, right? You got to get something that has some success. And then once it's there, you're comfortable. You have a team to help support you with it. Don't be scared to branch off into another website or into another project to where you diversify yourself a little bit. Because uh, like I said, you're just one algorithm, a change away from something really bad happening. 
but yeah, thankfully for me, like I said, it was it was tough, but uh, we'll get through it. It's just it's another hard thing in a very difficult year, I think, for everybody. So it's like, oh, great. This is cool. But we'll get through it. Appreciate you having me, Doug, as always. And uh, yeah, thanks. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks, man. You can keep up with Ron over at One Hour Professor dot com and on his YouTube channel of the same name, One Hour Professor. I'll put links in the show notes so you'll be able to get over to his stuff. And you know, good luck to Ron. I hope he's able to you know recover and grow his earnings and, and all the stuff that he needs to do. It's always dramatic, and you know, we covered it at the the second half uh, or the tail end of that interview where it is it is really important once you get established to diversify or at least have something that you feel more comfortable with. Some people have much different risk tolerance levels and there's my voice cracking. I need to go to like a vocal coach or something like that. I'm sure I'm doing something wrong. All right, let's move on to the next topic, which is the fire movement. That is financial independence, retire early. And I was sort of loosely familiar with it in the last few years, probably starting in 2014 or so, 2013, 2014, when um, my wife and I were trying to figure out how we wanted to approach our investments. And at the time, we were using our respective financial advisors, however we found them. And we, we weren't like super unhappy, but we were realizing as we were getting hopefully smarter and more experienced as human beings that the financial advisors rarely uh, ever outperform just like the regular market, right? So if you just look at the overall stock market, usually a financial advisor is not going to be able to outperform them, all right? So you can go look that up on your own. Anyway, we eventually stumbled across some of these folks in the fire movement. And I didn't get obsessed with the whole idea. I was more obsessed with niche sites and, you know, making money online and just continuing to progress through my career. But we did pick up a few things, which was the investment approach, which is, I mean, you hear it a lot more these days. Basically, you invest in index funds that are very broad. Usually they're like the total stock market. There's a lot of different ways to slice it and dice it and you can dive into different areas, but Vanguard is one of the most popular and that's where I have uh, most of my money sitting. And so I'm a little familiar with the fire movement. And then more recently I moved to Longmont, Colorado, where Pete Adney and, uh, Carl Jensen and Mindy Jensen and, and several other folks that are fairly prominent in the fire community are located. They live like, you know, within a few miles and the co-working space that I go to is the Mr. Money Mustache. That's Pete HQ. So it's MMM HQ or triple M HQ. I usually just call it HQ because it's a lot of syllables to say, but anyway, they're all just like nice, normal people. And I've gotten to know them on a personal level and, you know, hang out with them some. So it's pretty cool. And I get to see sort of the non, uh, the more real, the more real version versus like on a blog because it's kind of tough on a blog. You're just reading the content and it's it's harder to understand what's going on. So anyway, uh, in the last few weeks, Spencer Hawes over at Niche Pursuits, um, friend of the show, 
friend of niche or <laughs> niche pursuits, friend of niche site project, um, published a blog post that says the fire movement. This is the title. The fire movement is lying to you. So I'll put a link in the description so you could check it out on your own. And essentially, he says he was checking out this fire movement and he thought. I might be able to stop working and live on what I've saved for the rest of my life because Spencer, and he mentions here, he sold a software company a few years ago for seven figures and he's had some successful ventures, which is a modest way to put it. I mean, Spencer is doing awesome and yeah, but I mean, he's doing amazing and he created and sold a software company. So that's insane, right? So seven figures, that's a lot of money. So he wanted to see what others have been able to achieve and see if the fire lifestyle was something he should pursue. However, the more he researched the bloggers and influencers that say that they have retired early thanks to their savings, the more I got annoyed. And he says, I got upset. So he wanted to share his thoughts on the fire movement and why he think he why he thinks the influencers are lying to you. And he says, are they lying to us? And he says, yes. So he breaks it down a little bit more, of course. But my big observation here is the complaint that people have typically is the retired portion. So it's financial independence, retire early. So the retire early portion is what people seem to call out. And when you hear the word retired, you think you're not working anymore. And for some people, they do stop working, especially like a corporate job. A lot of people will stop working their corporate job and then they'll end up doing something else that they enjoy more. Maybe they start a business around a hobby. Maybe they end up starting a blog, right? Um, For example, I think, and I didn't do the date research uh, like I should have ahead of time, but I think Pete retired and that's Mr. Money Mustache and roughly 2005, somewhere around there. And I don't think he did any work for a few years. And then I think it was in 2011 or so, then he started blogging. So he wasn't, you know, working a job for a few years. And then he wanted to share the story and start a blog. Again, the, the big issue that most people complain about is, hey, if you have a blog and you're running a YouTube channel, even if it's a hobby like that, that is work and you're earning money from it and you can't say that you're retired, which I can't really argue with. I mean, if, you, if you're if you defining words like retired in a certain way where you don't do any work, then sure, like that's not, that's not right. However, I will say the portion that I like to focus on is the financial independence because then you can work on the stuff that you want to work on. And I think that's the that's the big takeaway. I, I I guess I get a little bit defensive when you know I see a story like Spencer's where you know the fire movement is lying. They're not really retired. In my opinion, you're missing the point. You're 100% missing the point. It's about making choices, about optimizing your happiness, doing things that you want to do versus working at a job where maybe you don't enjoy it. I know a lot of people in my you know previous field, IT, a lot of people don't like their job. They don't enjoy the politics. Even the people that do like some of the technical aspects or their team or, you know, there's a lot of things that are positive about having, you know, 
an IT job, but there's a lot of things that people don't like. Many times those negative points outweigh the positives. So I I get a little defensive because I think people see a headline like this and they're like, oh, the fire movement is just bullshit. They're lying to you. They're still working. They're still making money. And the point is the financial independence. And I'm afraid that people see the headline and they think, well, it's not even possible. Like people are running blogs and, and they're running YouTube channels and they're obviously making money from that. And that must be like they just started doing some work instead of the previous job and they haven't really saved money. But I could tell you personally that you can save money. And um, if you slowly invest it over time, or let's say you want to buy a business, like you can invest in a certain way, uh, whatever your comfort level is for risk and end up with a lot of money at the end of the day, where you actually can live off the interest of your savings. And I can tell you for a fact that it's definitely possible. It doesn't, I mean, by the way, I've never said, hey, I'm retired. And because people get so sensitive and there's actually a, um, there's actually a, a term that uh, folks in the fire community mention because they get called out all the time for not being retired because they're doing like a blog or some other hobby business, right? And they're like, uh, you know, the internet police will come after us because we're saying we're retired, but we really, you know, we found this other job that we actually like. So anyway, the point is it is possible. So don't think just because um, people are working that it you shouldn't adopt some of the ideas where you spend money on things that are important to you. You cut back on things that aren't so important. For example, I'm not super concerned with um, like stylish clothes and I'm not really concerned with my car. I just want it to be safe and useful. So I'm not going to beat a dead horse here, but I do want to know what you think. So send me an email feedback at doug.show the fire community do you think you know hey they're full of shit they're not really retired do you think hey it's a great approach and i mean the fact is it turns out if you are pretty good at earning money that you can actually save enough to retire you're pretty good at earning money and you like to work on projects and that is what people end up doing Sure, maybe you can cruise for a couple of years and just hang out. Maybe you travel a bunch, blah, blah, blah. But eventually, you probably want to start working on something and have a purpose. So usually people don't retire 100%. They just sort of semi-retire and they're doing an, an optional job that they want to work on. They don't have to, but they want to. This episode is brought to you by Ezoic. Ezoic is a Google certified partner and they've recently rolled out their new site speed accelerator. Basically, it speeds up your, your site. It makes it load faster and you really see a huge improvement most of the time with the Google PageSpeed Insight score. Now, if you already have a high Page Insight score, then it's not going to go up as much, but I had experience with uh, one of my sites. Basically, it went from the high 20s, low 30s to the high 90s just by implementing the Site Speed Accelerator. Now, a few people have asked me about using Ezoic and basically using their DNS. The best way you can use the Site Speed Accelerator and Ezoic in general is to 
use their DNS. And the reason why is you're able to use their caching and their CDN. That's a content delivery network. Basically, those are services. Those are things you would typically have to pay for separately, but it's included with the SiteSpeed Accelerator. There's a free seven-day trial, so I encourage you to check it out. And again, people are concerned about using the DNS of some other third party, but basically, if you use a CDN, that is what you do. That That's like the thing that happens. If you use a CDN, you have to use another DNS and things are loading sort of outside of your normal registrar and your hosting account, but it helps your site load faster. So it's sort of implicit and I do it myself. So I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't worry about it too much. If you're using a CDN, then you're using other uh, servers to load your site anyway. This is a site speed accelerator, so you need to use caching in the CDN. Thus, you have a much faster loading site. So there's no harm in checking out the free seven-day trial. And thanks again to eZoic. Now let's hit some more questions. And if you do have questions, I think I've already asked a couple of times in this episode, but you can shoot me one feedback at doug.show. And this segment is brought to you by Niche Website Builders. They are a uh, sort of newer sponsor, new, new sort of company in town, and they are an affiliate marketing agency and they can help you write content. Right, they could do the content portion, which I've worked with them already. Gotten over twenty thousand words of content. It was in very good condition. I didn't have to change anything. They even used a uh, plugin for uh, Amazon that I'm using called Lasso to set things up for me. And they also have a shotgun skyscraper campaign that they will run for you as well, which I'm testing. I don't have any results yet, but. This is uh, their segment, and it's the Q&A segment. So we do have some questions, and this is from Jay. So Jay sent this in. Some of it is like uh, just comments, but overall, I wanted to respond to it because I think a lot of people are in the same boat as Jay. So Jay, thanks a lot. We've sent several emails over time, and he says this. I don't like Amazon anymore since they lowered commissions. I really like working on my niche site as I've been part of the community for years. I know the ins and outs of the industry and what people care about. The drawback is it's probably not the niche that's going to make me a full-time living unless it grows to a thousand or sorry, 10,000 visitors per month or more, which I think is um, really within your reach, Jay. I mean, that is totally doable. Jay further says, I did talk with a person who sells leads and he walked me through building a funnel and a bridge page, which I don't know what a bridge page is, but I imagine it's kind of like a transitional page. And that person helped Jay set up Aweber with email follow-up sequences. So he says he bought a hundred leads for $50, 100 leads for $50, right? And then he got 38 opt-ins and three sales in which he made $65 for it. He says, if I, if they purchase more and upgrade, then I will make more. So in one week, he made more on that, whatever sales thing that they were doing than he did in three months working on a niche site. So he mentions that he could still work on his niche site and have 
plenty of time to work on the, these other things. So he, he mentions he doesn't have a job. I think he was laid off or something um, to that effect. And he has plenty of time, basically full time to work on it. He does say, I might as well do an hour of two on the how to make money online niche, right? Still, I think that is the way many people make great money each month. However, I want to make sure as an affiliate, I'm promoting good stuff, good products, I suppose, and not the three easy steps to make 10K per month junk that I see a lot of out there. And I know it takes a lot of hard work and focus to build a successful site. I would like to write honest reviews about some of the crap out there. And there's so many so-called, quote, honest reviews, which are nothing more than affiliates giving five-star ratings to programs in order to get a sale. And I don't want to follow that concept. And Jay, thanks for opening up and sharing this here. I... I was really sort of like defensive here because when I, I see people selling, and th- this is why the internet, internet sucks. I think this will be a little bit of a rant. I hope it's not too much of a ranty episode, but I'll, I'll spin it in a positive way. Maybe. Basically there, are, I think click funnels is one of, actually I shouldn't even mention a specific name. Let's say funnel software. All right. There's a lot out there. Click funnels could be fine. I have no idea. And this is just for entertainment purposes, by the way. So anyway, the funnel software that you see out there where people are like, all you have to do is use this funnel software to sell products. And then they end up selling you the funnel software and they earn a commission from it. And then in order for you to make money, you have to sell something and probably you don't know what the fuck to sell, right? You don't know what to do. You have no other products. So the easiest thing for you to sell is the funnel software. And this person, you know, you, you, uh, let them guide you into signing up with Aweber. So they're going to earn commissions from it. You will end up potentially buying more leads from them. And then, you know, sure you made money in this transaction, but I mean, the fact is, they are trying to rope you in here. And if, wh- why would they sell you leads, right? If they, if they could have made $65, why? Why in the world would they sell them to you for 50? Uh, they're like, something doesn't add up, right? It just doesn't make sense to me. So yeah, there's a lot of people out there just reselling the same stuff. I see it often with funnel software. That's one of the, big ones, but I see it all the time. Just, um, I know an an old acquaintance of mine, I see YouTube videos pop up every now and then he, he or she, I'll keep it vague. He or she, right. Equal opportunity here. He or she could be like just making videos where they don't know anything about the product. And they literally are just signing up for affiliate programs, creating a video, maybe getting a few sales and eking out a living, right? They could be doing it, but man, that sucks. And yeah, you're right, Jay. You don't want to do this. You don't want to create content on things that you don't know anything about where, and I'm, I'm, that's an assumption, by the way, I'm assuming that that person guided you through this funnel software and they're selling funnel software and you're buying the funnel software and they're earning a commission from all, I mean, it's when you draw it out, it's a pyramid scheme. So anyway, 
anything worthwhile is going to take a while to build and it's going to take effort and you're going to have to, you know, do things that are a little bit harder, right? If you were able to do this super easy and you actually, I mean, from a business standpoint, if you're telling me this is legit, you can continue to buy leads for 50 bucks and sell them for 65. Um, yeah, do it. Like pour every cent that you possibly can. Like if you're getting a return on it, like do it. But my my hunch is this is not scalable. Those leads were either really good leads that he sold you to get you sort of roped in, but math doesn't add up. The incentives don't line up. It doesn't make sense to me. Like why would he sell it if he could make that money instead? And so on and so forth. So that that's my take. You definitely don't want to be in this group of make money online people that don't really know what they're doing and they're just reselling the same software to each other. And it's a weird pyramid screen scheme once you uh you like look at what's happening. So I hope I'm a little bit wrong about what's going on here. But Jay, yeah, you definitely want to be on the the better side of the equation here. All right. Next email. This is from John. And I sent out a few emails in the last uh, few days about link building. And it was kind of funny. I saw some of the other email lists that I'm signed up for. They were sending out emails about link building too. Some people said, don't build links. It's crazy. Other people said, definitely build links. You should build them. And I was saying, hey, you probably should do something with link building. And I've been experimenting with sending longer form emails where you don't have to go to the blog post or anything like that. It's just information. People seem to like them. I'm going to keep testing it, see how it goes. John says this, thanks for another epic email. I admit I definitely ignore link building. I don't know where to start, if I'm honest. My site only gets about 100 or so page views per day. So I need to up my game and I know I need to do it. So is it all outreach? Do I just ask them for a guest post? Do I call in some favors um, or do I do favors and link out to other blogs and hope they they do the same for me one day? Or can we buy a bunch of backlinks from some dude off of Fiverr? Seriously, I'm lost with it. So John, uh, great email. I appreciate the compliment and feedback. Um, Sometimes it's hard to tell how things are going. So I'm glad whether it's positive or negative, right? Sometimes I get defensive if it's negative feedback, but that is extremely helpful either way. So John um, doesn't know what to do with links. He doesn't know how to get them. So I replied back and I was like, yeah, you kind of got the right idea. I definitely prefer the approach of networking, building relationships, it's really good to do sort of a more formal situation of building the link. So you could link to someone's blog and hope hopefully they'll see it and maybe they'll link to you. That rarely happens. You really have to let them know that you've done it and extend that goodwill. Let them know that you are doing this. And I like this sort of... Um, not not a roundup post, but roundup in the sense that you are mentioning, for example, your favorite YouTubers. So maybe you list your favorite YouTubers in the vlogging niche and you talk about your favorite video from each of them. You mentioned sort of their background, give a little bio and actually just cover them, right? Feature them in a way that's favorable. And you, I mean, that's literally what people want, right? I spend time doing the podcast doing YouTube. 
it's fantastic if someone actually appreciates what I'm doing so much that they feature it on their site. That is some of the best um, sort of um, compliment you can give, right? You link to my stuff, you're helping spread the word. So once you link up and you are spreading the word, then you can shoot them an email and just let them know. Say, hey, I created this post, I featured you on it, and let me know if it looks okay. Do you want me to add anything? And I mean, you're really doing them a favor. Maybe they do want you to add something. Maybe hopefully you haven't made any errors or there's there's no problem with it, but it's very helpful, of course, if you can get them to have a look at it. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's some psychology behind it where if they do have a look and they do have something that they want to add or change, they're sort of bought into the success of that piece of content. You can also, instead of an email, maybe they're really active on Twitter, you can let them know, hey, I've done this and basically the same thing, except you're you don't have to write as much because it's Twitter. But some people will get so many emails that they have to turn to a different sort of outlet like that, such as Twitter. So that's a great way to do it. John mentioned further that he does some interview style blog posts with people in the niche. So he has somewhat of an idea how to how to do that. And I think that's a great way too. Um, it's a little more commitment from the person that you're featuring, but you can actually rope in some pretty big folks that are sort of beyond your pay grade as far as your blog goes, especially if you feature them first, you let them know you're building the relationship. You can say, hey, why don't we do a text-based interview? And you just send them an email with questions. Then you don't have to coordinate your schedules. They can write it out at their leisure and you end up with them, again, sort of bought into the success of that post and they will probably share it out most likely. Now, the risk, right, is, um, and John asked this, like, Are reciprocal links worth exploring? And for the people that don't know, a reciprocal link is where like one website links to another one and then they link back. So they're reciprocating the links. And I think these reciprocal links got a bad name from spammers a few years ago. So a lot of times what would happen is you would get a link from say homepage to homepage and people were essentially trading links. They knew links would help their rankings and they would just trade links and there was sort of big, um, I don't want to say networks, but there were big groups of people that were just like interlinking all over the place. You ended up seeing like blog roles and that sort of thing on sites and it's sort of, you know, it's not very valuable right? They, people assume it's not valuable at all. However, I believe links are normal and I gave the example. So if people are in the same niche, it's really common to link back and forth because you're covering the same topics and other people have a different take on it. Additionally, if you're in the same niche, you may know each other. You may actually be friends. It turns out that, uh, bloggers and other YouTubers or podcasters, they know each other. They may go to the same conferences. They may just brush shoulders because they know each other from the past. For example, I link to say Niche Pursuits and Neil Patel, right? Both of those sites are in 
somewhat the same niche. We cover a lot of different things, but we all talk about SEO and affiliate marketing and some other different overlap areas. So those sites, Niche Pursuits and Neil, Neil Patel, link to Niche Site Project. It's completely normal. And I link to those sites too. Typically, it's not from like the exact same URLs or anything like that. And it's typically not the home pages, but sometimes it could be. And we're referencing each other's sites because we cover topics differently and we may need to reference so people can go learn more about a specific topic. So it's totally normal to link back and forth from sites and to link multiple times to sites. I'm sure I have, you know, a dozen links over to Niche Pursuits. I'm almost certain that I do. So anyway, that is, uh, that's my take. And I want to thank niche website builders. Definitely check out their stuff over there. Some of the services that they have, they have a great Facebook group too. So you should check that out and you can either get more content, 10% more content or save on some of their services by 10%. There are uh, links and more details in the show notes for today. And my voice is killing me today, so I'm gonna I'm gonna end it here. Thanks for checking it out. I have some killer interviews coming up. Um, I'm really pumped to to get some of these out, some more advanced sort of topics, and just people doing insane things like publishing over 400 posts in just a few months. Pretty cool stuff. So have a great day out there. We'll catch you on the next episode.